You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 89. On today's show, I chat with stage manager turned teacher, Elena Sartor. At the start of 2022, Elena became eligible for a 401k. She wasn't sure which investments to pick, so we decided to record our conversation talking through the choices. Today, we will cover what a 401k is, how to pick investments and diversify, safe and secure and guaranteed versus high risk, high reward, and how the S&P 500 is the market. We also talk through each investment looking at the volatility, the expected return, and the expense ratio. If you don't have access to a 401k, this episode still contains a lot of valuable information. The process of creating a diversified portfolio is the same whether you're investing in a 401k or in something else. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Before the chat with Elena, I'm going to explain what a 401k is and provide a few stats about them. If you want to jump directly to the discussion, that starts around minute 11. Additionally, if you want to jump to the end of the episode where I talk about retirement options for those of us without access to a 401k, that is around minute 52. I'm explaining what a 401k is because at the end of the discussion, Elena explained that people coming from other countries have no idea what a 401k is. So for everyone coming from outside the USA, here it is. A 401k is an employee-sponsored retirement plan in which employers and employees contribute part of their salary to save for retirement. Employee-sponsored means you can only access one through an employer. So if you're a freelancer or independent contractor, you won't be able to have one. The money invested becomes available at age 59 and a half. If you withdraw before then, there is a 10% penalty. Now, the idea is that the government wants to encourage you to save for retirement, so if you decide to remove funds before the legal retirement age, you have to pay the taxes. 401ks are tax-deferred. You pay no taxes now, and when you withdraw the money in retirement, that's when you pay taxes. Now, that's appealing for a couple of reasons. First, it lowers your current tax bill, and it allows you to invest more money now, which, with compound interest, can grow bigger than if you put in a lower amount of money. The second advantage is for people who are in a high tax bracket or in a high tax location. They can pay less tax now, and then when they retire, they may be in a lower tax bracket, or they could even move to a place like Florida or somewhere with no income tax, and that would lessen their tax burden. There are a number of other strategies that can be put to use to lessen the taxes paid in retirement, so saving on the tax bill now is appealing to a lot of people. Now, I said 401ks are tax-deferred, but let me throw out a caveat that there are Roth 401ks. Most people don't have them, and employers default you into a traditional 401k, but according to the Plan Sponsor Council of America, 86% of 401k plans offer a Roth option. A Roth 401k is exactly the same as a traditional 401k, except 
the money you contribute is not tax deferred. You pay taxes on the income now, but when you withdraw the money in retirement, it is tax-free. If the Roth option is of interest to you, I suggest you reach out to your plan sponsor to see if that's an option. It's not very well known, but it can allow you a lot of tax-free income in retirement. And another secret about the Roth 401k, unlike Roth IRAs that phase out higher income earners, there is no income limit to a Roth 401k. If you make too much money to have a Roth IRA, but you like paying your taxes now, definitely ask your 401k sponsor about a Roth option. The two biggest roadblocks stopping people from signing up for a Roth 401k is that the auto enrollment option is always set to traditional and people assume that there's an income limit to the Roth option. 401ks are defined contribution plans. That means you and the employer define how much money you will contribute. No one keeps track of what the benefits will come out to. You may have heard of pensions. Pensions are also employee-sponsored plans. However, a pension is a defined benefit plan, which means the employer is responsible for providing a set dollar amount in retirement. So you can see how much easier it is for an employer to deal with a defined contribution plan with nearly no overhead, which is why pensions are now only 4% of retirement plans in the 2020s, whereas they were 60% of retirement plans in the 1980s. In another move to take responsibility off of companies and onto individual workers, 401ks are self-directed. The plan sponsor provides investment options, and you, the individual worker, select which investments you want. You decide how risky you want to be, and you're responsible to review and change those investments as you near retirement. Another element of the self-directed nature of 401ks is that you choose the amount of your salary that you want to contribute. The financial literature I read says 15-20% to 20 of your salary should be set aside for retirement. That will allow you to build a nest egg that lets you keep your standard of living when you stop working. If you aren't worried about saving for retirement, you can save nothing in a 401k. If you're extremely worried, you can max out the 401k. It's up to you. In 2022, you can contribute $20,500. If you are 50 years or older, you can contribute up to $27,000 as a way to make up for lost time. So if you are making $100,000 and you set aside the recommended 20%, you will come very close to maxing out your 401k. Now, a fun thing about 401ks is that employers get tax deductions for contributing to your plan. So many employers match your contributions somewhere between 3 to 5% of your salary. If you put in 3%, they'll match 3%. That's a way that you can save 6% of your annual salary toward retirement while only putting in 3%. So back to that $100,000 salary if you're setting aside 20%. If your employer matches 5%, then you could contribute 15%. They will match 5%, which totals 20%. So you can save 20% of your salary while only putting in 15%. If you are fortunate enough to have a company that matches any amount, you should absolutely take advantage of that. At least sign up for the 401k and contribute enough to get the matching funds from the company. Otherwise, 
you don't get the money and they don't get the tax write-off. Another element of a 401k is vesting. The money you contribute is your money. However, the money that the company matches is theirs until you are vested. Often, this means you must work for a year at the company to be vested. At that point, the matching funds also become yours. So if you switch jobs, you get to keep the retirement money without the company reclaiming it, which they could do if you left the job before working the full year. Each plan has its own rules, but often the vesting is very fair and not something to worry about. I'm just mentioning it so that we're all aware. And the last part of the rules is the eligibility requirements. Each company decides how long you must work there before you're eligible to join the plan. The plan sponsor then determines what date you can enroll, which usually means you have one window each year in the spring, or perhaps twice a year, or perhaps quarterly. But once you sign up, the plan sponsor will then let you in when they have an enrollment period. So that's what a 401k is. Now, according to Personal Capital, 32% of Americans are investing in a 401k which is surprisingly low to me because 60% have access to one. Now, I've never had access to one, but I guarantee I would sign up if I did. If you're listening to this and you don't know if you have a 401k, please go ask your employer. And if you do have access and you aren't signed up, please think it through because it could really benefit you in retirement. For ages 25 to 34, the average 401k balance is $27,000. For ages 55 to 64, the average balance is $197,000. I'm saying that because those amounts sound low, but I'm also saying it because it's not intimidating if you haven't started saving in one yet. And if you take the median instead of the average, those numbers drop by fifteen dollars to $20,000. If you want to see other age groups and their average balances, check out the workbook that goes along with today's episode. This is the first time I've ever made a workbook that goes along with an episode. It contains Elena's eight 401k options. It has the literature she received, and it also has today's current snapshot that shows a five-year return, the volatility, and the expense ratio of each of the funds. And the final page of the workbook shows the S&P 500 chart that we screen shared during the episode. The link for that workbook will be at the top of the show notes. It's available to patrons, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash artistic finance. Speaking of patrons, you know who you are, and I thank you for supporting the show. Now, when I introduce Elena, you'll hear me mention that this is a bonus episode. The reason for that is that when we recorded, I thought it was going to be a quick little discussion. We ended up talking about a lot, and I consider it valuable information for people to know, so I decided to turn it into a full episode. So now let's get to our talk. Welcome and thank you for listening to this bonus episode. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and I'm welcoming actor, stage manager, and now Italian teacher, Elena Sarder to the show. Welcome, Elena. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm so pleased and honored to be to be here. I'm honored. I'm honored. We're recording this on January 26, 2022. Omicron is raging. Stocks crashed this week, but they seem to have settled. Bitcoin fell 15%. But most importantly, Elena is signing up for a 401k for the very first time. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! 
It's such a fantastic moment. Congratulations, by the way. Right? I was about to say, in all this mess, Elena is speaking for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) But signing up for the 401k is the first thing. But then, of course, you have to decide what to invest in. And that part is what has stumped Elena. She reached out to me, and now we're recording this conversation so that anybody listening who is faced with a similar dilemma can maybe get some clarity. Absolutely. We're going to walk through the choices that Elena has, and we're going to point out pros and cons of each one. And then, Elena, you have to decide for yourself what works for you. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And and this goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. But Elena and I are not qualified to advise on any financial matters. No, absolutely. No. And people should seek professional guidance for any sort of financial decision that you're going to make. Yes, (laughs) definitely don't listen to me because I'm going to be blind and... uh... Take with my finger. No, no, you're gonna you're gonna make the perfect choice. No, I'm gonna understand everything. Yep. <laughs> exactly. I'm okay. gonna be watching stocks from tomorrow on. I highly doubt that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, yeah, that's true. You are on a deadline. So the reason why we're doing this is Elena has to decide by tomorrow. Yeah. So we had it was a quick decision time. It's like got to get in. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. So Elena. I've worked with you in the past, so I know you as a stage manager is how I've worked with you. For anybody listening who doesn't know you, can you just quickly explain who you are? So I grew up in uh, Italy, a small town near Venice, and I came to New York 10 years ago to study musical theater. I fell in love with stage management, so I carried on, you know, just uh, stage managing workshops and small musicals. And when the pandemic hit, I had to find something else to do. I basically started teaching. Teaching Italian was very popular during the pandemic. I had actually started before that part-time. I started teaching, you know, full-time it's lovely to work with kids. It's a lot of creativity and uh, there's a lot of uh, what I learned in stage managing and in just life experience. School gave me the possibility to, gave me basically the benefits that everybody loves and craves for, I guess. So I have health insurance now that I dreamed of for basically 70 years. And they offered me to open a 401k account. They actually proposed it to me last Tuesday. And I was like, sure, what I have to do? And they gave me the paperwork and they're like, bring it back by the end of the week because it has to start with January 1st. Here's the paperwork on Tuesday. Decide everything by Thursday. (laughs) I love it. Uh, the, The job you have. So are you teaching Italian language or are you teaching other things in Italian? So it's a bilingual school, right? So there are both programs, Italian and uh, American, but I teach music and creative movement in Italian. See, and what's the age range that you're teaching? Pre-K through third grade. Okay. How old are third graders? I don't, I don't know. Eight. All right. Amazing. Okay. Two more questions before we get to your 401k. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member or a piece of art that you like? I mean, obviously musicals. I haven't gone for a long time and I had to catch up. I've heard amazing things about so many. And I mean, musicals. Yeah, absolutely. The music and the live performances and the dancing and the acting. It's just makes me happy. 
<laughs> All right. Say COVID didn't have didn't, like wasn't around tomorrow, and somebody gave you a free ticket to any show. What would you go see? I guess I would go back to see Phantom of the Opera, which was the first musical I have ever seen in my life. It was actually in London, but I think I saw it seven times. Whoa! I would I would go to to see it again. Just you know. Why not? <laughs> okay. Uh, your financial personality here. Are you good or bad with money? I wish I was good, but I don't understand anything about it. So <laughs> I try to make my best and pretend like I know and that I read and <laughs> that I understand. But really, if, if I could hire somebody that could manage my finance i would totally do that <laughs> all right no we'll, we'll have you back in like five years and back so did you have you hired anybody for your finances <laughs> ask me in five years i'll probably tell you no <laughs> oh we'll see to be determined to be determined yeah <laughs> okay so now we're ready to talk about the 401k yeah i have this package that the accountant from school gave to me and there is a lovely, you know, front. It says enrollment guide. And there are, I think, 35 pages, 25 pages. And uh, it's a lot to read. It explains um, specifically what a 401k is. It actually starts with the question, are you ready for a bright financial future? And of course, the answer is yes, <laughs> absolutely. And then you, you flip the pages and you're like, oh, my God, this is so complicated. <laughs> so from what I understand, you contribute to this 401k 3% of your, of your income, 3% of your income. And my employer matches the 100% of my contribution up to 3%. If let's say I wanted to invest 5%, they would only contribute 3%. If I were to contribute 2%, then they would just match that. So I decided to match, you know, to just go with this 3%. And uh, what else? <laughs> Let me see. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's perfect. So, so we have to figure out, so they're giving you the 401k, but you have to make a lot of decisions. So the first decision you have to make is how much you're going to invest or how much you're going to set aside. You're doing the obvious, obvious thing, which is that they're going to match me 3%. So I'm going to put in 3%. Exactly. The beautiful part of that is that that means you're 6% of what you make each year is going into your retirement. But of course, you're only paying 3%, which is the, be the beautiful part of that. And so now, how old are you? Do I tell the truth or do I tell what I tell everybody? I, I would argue for the truth in this specific situation. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you're, I don't know, 24, Would if I had to guess. Thank you, Ethan. You're such a good friend. So we can say 24 if you want, or you can be honest. Uh, plus 10. <laughs> but what I tell everybody is... 30. Okay, so Elena is 30, but in this situation, we'll pretend that she's 34. Perfect. <laughs> so I would argue that she's fairly young. That'll come into play on your risk tolerance, etc. But if you're if you're really sitting down to sort of plan your financial retirement, 
one thing you have to decide is like how much money you're going to want in retirement. The sort of rule of thumb is that whatever amount of money you have in retirement, that each year you can withdraw 5% of that and it won't really affect the principal. So say you have a million dollars in retirement, you can pull out 5% every year and that million dollars will stay and therefore you can sort of live forever or <laughs> it'll deplete at such a slow rate that you can live until you die. Lovely thought. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> and then a way you can figure that out too easily is say, okay, when I'm retired, I want to have $50,000 each year. You multiply that number by 12. And so if we do that, that gives us 600000 So then in theory, if we have $600,000 in our account, we'll be able to have 50000 every year um, moving forward. So if anybody's trying to figure out what should my amount of money be that I should strive for, just take whatever number you want in retirement, multiply it by 12, and that's a good ballpark figure. Wow, Ethan. I mean, oh, you're making it so wonderfully easy. Okay. <laughs> okay, so now here's the part. I, I don't, don't want to break this to you, Elena, but experts that are not me <laughs> recommend that people set aside 15 to 20% of their income every year toward their retirement. So growing up, I also am, let's say, 34. <laughs> I'm 33 turning 34 in a couple of months. But when I was growing up, it was always like 10% and then then 10 to 15% is what you said to set aside. And then recently, the last couple of years, it's gone from, oh, now you should say 15 to 20%. Historically, it's been more like 10 to 15, but now 15 to 20. That's of your gross income. So that's how much money do you say on your tax document at the end of the year? Like how much money, when somebody says, oh, how much money do you make a year? You say 30,000. When in reality, you're paying taxes, blah, 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 and benefits. And so you're actually getting like 20,000. Whatever amount you save should be out of your gross. So like before the taxes go out, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, again, just mentioning that company match that you have. Obviously, even if you're not going to set anything aside for yourself, like totally take the company match. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And then the other thing is if anybody else is faced with this 401k decision, like I don't know what to choose. The beautiful thing about Elena's plan, you only have eight funds to choose from. So it's not like... You have a hundred choices. It's not like you can do anything. You have eight. Somebody who knows something about money and retirement has chosen those eight. You can't make a wrong decision. Say you hadn't reached out to me or anything and you had just picked, you would have been fine. None of those are bad. And they're all ETFs or index funds or mutual funds, which means they're a variety. They're all automatically a variety. Correct. Chances are, if you're listening and you, you have to decide on your own, you're probably not going to be able to make a wrong decision. Sure, maybe it wasn't as risky or as you wanted or something like that, but you're probably going to be fine. So that's what's lovely about your plan is it's simple. It's like choose from these eight and that's your only options. Okay, so let's talk risk tolerance, shall we? Shall, we shall. <laughs> well, actually, we don't even have to talk about it, but I'm going to ask you because it really doesn't matter. But what is your risk tolerance? Zero. <laughs> No. Zero. Okay. I know that's good. I would say zero, but the the risk uh, of risking zero is that you're just opening a savings account. So why, you know? Exactly. So you're going to be forced into something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, okay, great. But I think this also goes into the fact that you're 30, aka 34, mm -hmm. your age determines. So I think younger people can be riskier in the sense of more risk, more reward. Whereas if you were 64 and retiring next year, you would probably want to put it in a safer investment because if the stock market crashes, I still want to be able to live my retirement. I don't want to have to sort of delay my retirement by five years 
for the stock market to come back. So that could decide. So I'm risky in the sense of I'm young. And so I'm like, I, I can weather a couple more stock market crashes. I think, Elena, you can too. But if we were 54, 64, that would be a different conversation. Yes. All right. And then another thing you're going to have to decide is diversification. That goes back to your eight choices. We'll get into this in a minute, is that they are all diversified. So you can actually pick one of them and you're already diversified. So that's sort of taking care of you. However, on diversification, there's something called the rule of 110. And this is this is in an episode that hasn't released yet. But by the time this is out, it'll be in episode 86 about bond investing. And the rule of 110 is that you take that number, you subtract your age, whatever that number is, that's how much you should put in stocks and risky things. Uh, let's see if I can do math here. You're 30. <laughs> so 110 minus 30 is 80. So therefore, by that general rule, you should put 80% in stocks and risky investments, and then 20% in stability and safety and bonds. When you turn 40, you review it and you say, oh, now 110 minus 40 is 70. So I'll put 70 in stocks and I'll up my safety to 30%. So that's one quick way you can sort of figure it out. There's also historically, like me growing up, it was always said your portfolio should be 60-40, which is 60% stocks, 40% cash, bonds, that sort of thing. I've never as ascribed to that probably because I'm 33 and I'm just like, no, that much in bonds and fixed income makes zero sense to me. <laughs> also, the 40, the 60-40 rule is sort of like 70 years old, and I frankly don't really think it applies anymore. You can go read the literature on it yourself. But the new sort of thing I'm seeing is 33-33-33, and that is 33% stocks, 33% fixed income, bonds, safe stuff, and then 33% alternatives. And that would be like getting a rental property, maybe investing in gold or like metals or, so, or, or Bitcoin. Bitcoin could be another one. So it's like things that aren't stocks, aren't bonds, etc. And I think the reason for that is right now and for the last 10 years, everyone's been saying stocks are overinflated and they're not worth it and blah, blah, blah. So I think that that's playing into it is like there's other choices other than the stock market. Because people have so many choices, people can, you know, get in on other businesses and random things. Now it's 33, 33, 33. Oh, but this changed in how many years? The, the rule of 33, 33 from the rule of 60, 40. It changed in what, 30 years? So maybe in like another 30 year, it will change again? Yeah, yeah. And it's not changed. Like there are still people that do 60, 40. Mm. And because all these rules are just starting points. Oh, I have to make a plan. Well, which what should I do? So like an easy thing is just 60-40. So right. Even, even right now, we could do 60-40 and sort of pick amongst that. Or we could do 33-33-33-33. Or we could do the rule of 110. Like they're all just starting points for you to decide for yourself. Wow. Okay. But, but yeah, I imagine in 30 years, there will be somebody else saying something else. Of course. Et cetera. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get to the juicy part here. What are... Elena's eight choices because you and I had already spoken previously and I sort of suggested well this is what I would choose but now we're sitting down and we'll talk through each one one element of this is fees I'm a big proponent of looking out for the fees if there's a higher fee fund I'm going to be less inclined to go for it even if maybe it's something I want if it has a high fee I'm going to avoid it and the reason for that is you're putting in three percent your company's putting in three percent if you have a fund that's taking 
let's say 3% or 5% of, of that money, it's like, what the heck? Whereas I would rather have a fund that's taking 1%. Because over time, you're, like, you're going to have this stuff in there for years. For, we're talking like 30 years. Your stuff is going to be in this fund for 30 years. So 1% over 30 years is quite a bit. Half a percent over 30 years is going to be you know half that amount. Every half percent that you get to keep every year is a half percent more that is going to be building for you. So fee fees are important. And then the very last thing before we look at these funds is that you said, Ethan, I don't want to invest in anything that has to do with guns. You know, your personality is something that we have to worry about. So we did a whole episode on ethical investing with Chris Lowe's. And he is all about vegan and not hurting the planet. And we talked about how he's investing in things like Google. Yeah, they're not perfect. They do a lot of damage to the planet. However, they're trying to do the right thing. Same thing with Apple. Yeah, they're making plastic and they're using metal and blah, 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 blah. But they're still trying to offset their carbon footprint. They're trying to treat their employees really well. You have to decide, okay, there's a gun manufacturer in there and it's offering fantastic returns, but I'm not going to do that. All right. Now the funds. All right. Should I just, I'll, I'll read them and then I'll, I'll go into it. Okay. Number one is Great West Money Market Institutional. Two is Vanguard Long-Term U.S. Treasury Fund. Three is Vanguard Balanced Index. Four, Vanguard Wellington Fund. Five, Vanguard U.S. Growth. Six, Vanguard 500 Index Fund. Seven, Vanguard Explorer. And eight is Vanguard International Growth. Okay, wait. So do you want to talk about each one or should I just tell you what sort of what I know about each I one? I think you should tell me because from what I see, so each, how should I call it, company fund, each fund has an investment objective and strategy and a risk and return profile paragraph. For each, I see fund the fund manager, the period ending, the fund operating uh, expenses. That's what you were talking about. And the risk and potential return meter. Again, I started reading because the accountant was like, oh, just read it. It's easy enough. And I started reading and, and it talks about guarantees and money market. So no. I decided to text Ethan instead. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, also on your or on your sheet, you have eight choices. Each one has their name. Then it has a ticker, which I'll list all this in the show notes. I'll put every one of these tickers so that people can look them up if they want. And then there's a percentage, a blank percentage box. And so you have to decide what percentage of each one you want. So let's just go with the first one, Great West Money Market Institutional. That is basically just a bank account. That is purely putting cash in it. So the Great West money market has a five-year return of 5%. Mm -hmm. Technically, there is a 0.01% yield, but that is very, very minimal. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so if you look up the 52-week average return, it is 0.01%. Basically, you're just putting the money in and it's not doing anything, but it's just staying in the account. And considering that the the expense, the fees are 0.11, it's probably not worth it. Yeah, so this is another thing, Elena. The sheet that they gave you is from 2016, and it pretty much has all the details. I looked up everything else because it's now 2022. <laughs> Things are a little different. So I see the expense ratio at 0.09%. But either way, it's very low. 
Um, okay, so then the next choice, Vanguard Long-Term U.S. Treasury Fund. So that is just bonds. That's a safe thing. You're pretty much going to be guaranteed that money. So the Vanguard Long-Term U.S. Treasuries has a five-year return of 5.4%. And when we look at the stock market in general, we expect to make between 8 to 12% return. So that's what we measure against. Um, and the expense ratio for this one is 0.2%. So it's, it's double the expense ratio of the cash. But both of those are safe. very safe. Yeah. In fact, I did write down safest. Oh, yeah. You have the little line marker. So in the Great West money market is in the lower square. And in the long-term U.S. Treasury is actually, it's more on the lower end of the meter. So they give you like a box with five markers? Yes, there are five markers. So the first one is in the lowest risk, the first box. Right between the second and the third. Yeah, so it's like under half. And I think the reason they have risky there is because the treasuries, the bond market does change. So treasuries, uh, the interest rates change with inflation, but, I, but it's still a very safe, very not, <laughs> not risky. Again, all these choices, none of them are really risky. Okay, so then what's the third option? The Vanguard Balanced Index. Can you read the objectives? What's the objective? The investment seeks to track the performance of a benchmark index that measures the investment return of the overall U.S. stock market. So what that is, is the Warren Buffett advice is to put money in a S&P 500 index. And that, nobody manages that. It just tracks the market so this one, you actually are actively managed. So you have people that are saying, okay, we believe in the S&P 500. However, we think we can sort of pick and choose a few and adjust, adjust a few things to get a little bit of a higher return. Wait, what is SRSP that's written down here too? It says, with approximately 60% of its assets, the fund seeks to track the investment performance of the CRSP US total market index. Oh, I'm glad you pointed it out. So it says six, 60% is tracking the entire market. And then 40% is tracking a Barclays aggregate float adjusted index. So you know what they have right there? They have the 60-40 rule. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what you were talking about, right? Oh my gosh, that's so funny. But I've got to look up this CRSP. So it's virtually, it's just the entire United States stock market. So not just the S&P 500, which is the largest 500 companies. It's the entire market. Yeah. So the Vanguard Balanced Index has a five-year return of 45%. Wow. So the next one is the Vanguard Wellington Fund. That has a five-year return of 20%. The investment seeks to provide long-term capital appreciation and moderate current income. The fund invests 60 to 70% of its assets in a dividend-paying and, to a lesser extent, non-dividend-paying common stocks of established large companies. The remaining 30 to 40% of the fund's assets are invested mainly in fixed income securities that the advisor believes will generate a moderate level of current income. Okay, so that's another fund where they've done 60-40. 
they have a little bit of flux, so sometimes they do 70-30. Right there, they're saying, you put the money in our fund, we have invested it for you and diversified so that we are doing the 60-40 for you. You can put your money in our fund and we're, we're doing it. So that's another very safe one. Yes. In fact, again, the, the lower risk is very, the, the, I'm seeing the risk meter is in the lower box. Okay. So now what's our next choice? Vanguard US growth. So growth funds, those are ones that they try to pick growth companies. Growth companies are what Google and Apple have been for the past 15 years, where they're just growing and growing and growing. Rather than take the stock market as a whole, they're going to choose companies that are growing and therefore they're going to try to get a higher return. But of course, that's a little riskier because if they pick a company like WeWork and then WeWork implodes, <laughs> then that's going to hurt you a little bit. Yeah. You lose your money. Yeah. But you know, you just have to assume that you're picking enough of them that it's totally okay. It's well diversified. So even if you go with this riskier choice you're still going to be okay. But I do notice on this one that the expense ratio is 0.38%. Higher than the, uh, the other ones, yeah. So you're paying a higher price, but you might get a higher return. And the five-year return for the Vanguard US growth is 78%, which is the highest we've seen so far. Okay, so which one are we on now? The sixth one, the Vanguard 500 Index Fund. So that has a five-year return of 93%. Wow. So that's the largest we've seen. <laughs> <laughs> but the expense ratio on this is 0.04%. Oh, okay. So it's actually lower than it says here in my sheet. Yeah. So that's the lowest that we've come across. Um, and again, the Vanguard 500 Index, that's basically the S&P 500, and that's the classic choice. So when somebody says, what's the market doing? It's what's the Vanguard 500 doing? Or what's the S&P 500? Okay, our seventh choice. Uh, Vanguard Explorer. Ooh, sounds adventurous. <laughs> Expense ratio, 0.41%. So that's the highest so far. The five-year return is 23%. So Vanguard Explorer, long-term capital appreciation, stocks and small companies. So versus the growth fund, this is putting money into small companies. So ones that aren't necessarily in the S&P 500. And it's, so it's taking a bigger risk because the companies are smaller and who knows what they're going to do in the long term. But in theory, there's potential for higher return because they're getting in early on these companies. So therefore, they can maximize profits for years and years. Versus if you buy into Apple, yeah, you're going to make a profit. But you're not going to make the thousand billion percent that you would have had you invested them in, in, in the 90s. Mm, in fact, it has the, the higher risk meter here. So you're probably going to make a higher percentage, but like in 2020, it might suffer more than everything else is suffering. They, they don't have like a Coca-Cola that, yeah, it's going to hurt, but it's still going to chug away and make money. Yeah. Okay, so then our last choice is... Vanguard International Growth. Okay, so that's Growth Fund, which is higher risk. They're trying to pick the companies that are going to grow and get the highest return, but it's doing it internationally. That's saying, okay, the United States is great, but there's a whole world out there in which we can make some profits. And the expense ratio on that is 0.43%, so that's the highest. Oh. That has a five-year return of 66%. Oh. 
Okay. So those are your choices. Good luck. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't leave So, but, you know, I'm not worried about you at all. You only have eight choices. You can only make eight mistakes. <laughs> Somebody has already vetted this. Even if you chose the one that was down 5% this year, like you're putting this in here for 30 years. Now, but oh, I have a question. In the investment options I have, right, with the ticker and the code and the percentage, can I put, if I, let's say, apply the 60-40 or the 70-30 rule, what if I put 70% on a safe fund and I put 30% on one of these two, either the Explorer fund or the international growth? I see what you're saying. So you're saying larger portion safe. But the portion that's going to be risky is going to be really risky. What do you think? And by really risky, remember, the most risky fund here is in the exact middle of the risk. None of them are actually high risk. I think that's a choice, Elena. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I think the thing is, it's whatever your comfort level is. Right. Now, your safe choice, I would not do the money market. Exactly. Personally. Like that one just hurts my brain. Thank you, Ethan. <laughs> But I can understand if you, you want 100% guaranteed. So I would probably do the treasuries. Right. But yeah, that's that's a good choice. Because I think also uh, a good choice would be pick one of the middle risk ones and just put everything in there. Yeah, no, exactly. No, you're right. But I think whatever concoction you want will work for you. So you could definitely do the 70-30, but in the reverse. <laughs> right, exactly. And do you know, like, how often can I change this or it matter? It doesn't. So that's probably in that 25 page document you have. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that I didn't read through. <laughs> Surely once a year you can change it, but you might be able to change it once a quarter. OK, so it depends on your your fund. And, and the reason why you have the Thursday deadline is because they probably can only let people in once a year or once a quarter. And so it's like, oh, we got to ha we have to get you during the period where we can put people in. So I imagine that whatever that period is, is the same frequency that you can change these investments. I see. So let's, let's say I go 100% with a fund, right in the middle risk. In another year, maybe I'll be, you know, I'll be capable of reading these stocks, or whatever, you know, Maybe I can change it then. Yeah, exactly. And and when you change it, I think what usually happens is whatever you have stays going forward. Whatever you put in takes that new plan. So you'll still have some. You'll still have all the old stuff, but moving forward, they'll put it into different funds. Ah. But the but the thing is, you can also rebalance. So let's say every January you review it and sort of decide you can rebalance and say, okay, I'm going to put more over here, more over there. Got it. But I think, but I, again, I think that's usually, it's usually just whatever the new money is. So let's say that you do that 70% in bonds and that 30% in risky. And then next year you say, oh, well, now I want to get to more of like a 60% in, in stocks and 40% in the safe stuff because I, I was playing it too safe. At that point, you would probably reallocate to where it, it's almost fully risky or it's almost fully stocks because you would have so much safe already. So then you would put in 0% safety and 100% risky. And then the next year, look at it and say, okay, where am I at? 
oh, now I'm more at 60-40, so now I'll reallocate and do 60 in stocks and 40 in the bonds and then move forward. And then again, a year later, say, okay, that's where I'm at. Oh my God, that's all the homework every year. <laughs> no, no, it's, but it's very easy because this is what happens for Nicole every year. She gets the sheet, she looks at it, she doesn't change it. Mm. My preference is always if I see a choice for an S&P 500 index, because it tends to be the one with the lowest fees, and it tends to just be whatever the stock market is doing is how it's doing. I just go 100% into that. It's easy. It's simple. I know. And at some point when I get older, like when I get to 40 and 50, and as I review, I probably will become a little safer and say, okay, now it's something else. But I don't like the, like you have eight choices. I would never choose all eight. And part of that is because the fees of buying into them every time, every month or whatever, it adds up. So I prefer like just one transaction or two transactions, mm. m- minimal choices. And then I just stick with that forever and ever. Chat, don't make sense. And, th- and part of that is just because it's easy. Like if I just choose one, it's great. Like a lot of 401ks have target date funds. And what that is, is it says, oh, if you're planning to retire in 2060, join this fund. Or if you're planning to retire in 2050, join this fund. And what you do is you don't diversify at all. You just put it in that fund that's already diversified for you. Amazing. So that's sort of what my thought is on picking. If I had to choose out of if I had to choose out of these eight, I would probably look at one. Like we looked at those couple that had a 60-40 split or a 70-30 split. I would probably look at one like that and just say, okay, they're diversifying for me. I'm just gonna put it all in there hundred percent. Gotcha. But your 70-30% plan, I think, is also totally cool. <laughs> it's a little safe for me personally, but hey, you do you. Oh, is it? Really? <laughs> I thought choosing that 30% was so risky. Uh, <laughs> I was so proud of myself. No? Okay. I mean, okay. <laughs> See, I trust you. That's why I called you. My, if I had to choose this for me, myself, I would go 100% into the Vanguard 500 index fund, which is just tracking the S&P 500. It also has the lowest fees, which is appealing to me. If you wanted to sort of do that, but you don't want to be completely risky going into the stocks, you could do 90% into the in Vanguard 500 and then like 10% in the treasuries. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the safest we said, right? Yeah, yeah. Got it. Well, I have time next year to change just in case. <laughs> okay, so that so just this last, like this year... It's gone from, I wish I could show you this chart. Anyway, <laughs> it has a chart. Screenshot it. Send it to me. <laughs> okay, I will do this. Uh, all right, I'll post this in the show notes too. I don't know if it's legal for me to post Google things, but I'm going to do it. Okay, screenshotted. So here we have, it's tracking its growth for five years. What if I hit max? Okay, so this is its entire history. Well, as long as Google goes back. So here's 2004. So you can see like from 2007 to 2009, this was like the largest dip in all of history. Well, since World War II, and it went down 50%. You see the zero line here. This is where it was. Everything was happy in 2007. (laughs) And then we went through the Great Recession, which was two years of suffering, and it went down 50%. Now that is like historic and has only happened that once. So now we go forward and we go to the 2020 COVID pandemic and we see where that dip was. That's a huge dip, but it's not 50%. 
This most recently, right here, this week, was a really bad week. Everyone was freaking out. And that was the dip this week. Yeah, but again, I mean, if it picks up in a couple of years like it did previously, I don't think, I mean, I don't think we're going to go back to the 50% down. I mean, I always assume we will at some point. (laughs) Yeah, well, at that point, we're all going to move to Mars or to the moon. Exactly, exactly. And I always figure I'll write it out. And if I have some sort of health situation where I can't write it out, then so be it. That's what happens. Exactly. We'll go leave the <laughs> um, farm or something, right? And and by the time I get closer to retirement, I probably will. It'll. I'll choose safer options and I'll choose more bonds. So I think by that time. So at any point, I can always choose to be safer. So me while I'm 33, you while you're 30 or 34, <laughs> you can be risky because you're going to reevaluate in a year and be like, oh, I'm really glad I was this risky. Or, oh my gosh, the stock market went down a thousand percent. Whereas in 20 years, <laughs> when you're getting closer to retirement, you won't have the option to risk it. So right now is sort of the moment that I can risk it. You do. There's no wrong decision. So you can pick safely and then in a year look back and be like, I'm really glad I was safe. Or you can pick risky or you can go middle of the road. I think there's no wrong choice for you to make, except for that first one. Don't put it in the money market one. <laughs> no money market. No, you're right. Wow, I I love it. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful. Elena, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with this? Or are we we all good? You you know what you're going to choose. Well, obviously, I'm going to choose what you told me. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm a... No, but you're right. I mean, it makes a lot of sense now that I understand what I'm looking at. You know, again, I I just wish that it was more handy to me. Like I wish that they wouldn't just give me this and say, pick. I wish that it was somebody from this company saying, hey, how about I explain to you how this works? I'm young, as you said, in quotes, young. <laughs> but if you know somebody has come from Italy and is starting from scratch, you know, like like they they hire some teachers from Italy and they don't know what they're doing because it's completely different. So I wish there was somebody just explaining what it is like you did, you know, just finding some information. I know there's Google for everything, but I mean. <laughs> but you got it. You got it. Mm-hmm. The thing is, you could go like meet with a financial advisor for like a one off and be like, hey, these are my options. So like maybe in a year when you it's time to reevaluate, maybe you actually take your paperwork and you meet with somebody and you just say, hey, this is what, what I chose. to choose. Like, what should I do? Right, right, right. And then they'll, of course, ask you questions like, how old are you? How much money do you want to have in your tire? What is your lifestyle? Blah, blah, blah. But you, c- you could do it one off and then you would know sort of and you wouldn't need to meet with them again. That's awesome. But maybe I can get somebody on that. I had a financial advisor person reach out to me about being on the show. So maybe I could have them on and have you on and we could do like a first meeting with a financial advisor. You already have made your decision for this year. Right, but but for next year, just in case. Thank you so much, Ethan. Really appreciate it. Last thing before you go, if you want people to connect with you at all, where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm on social media. Elena Sartor, Instagram, Facebook. And if you want if you want to send your child to an Italian school in New York City, you have a hookup. Yep, absolutely. I'm very fun. Everybody's very fun, I have to say. <laughs> All right, Elna, thank you so much. Have a good life now. Thank you. Happy retirement planning. Yes, <laughs> thank you. That's it for this week's episode. My takeaway is that finances can sometimes be overwhelming. For Elena, picking a 401k option was a lot of work. She needed somebody to bounce ideas off of 
and for someone to explain it. That, my friends, is exactly what artistic finance is about. We aren't financial experts, but we may know enough to help a friend or a colleague. And that friend or colleague may be able to help us. I know we can all manage our finances, and Elena would have been fine without me, but chatting it through made her much more confident that she was doing the right thing. If artistic finance didn't exist, Elena would never have asked me about her 401k, and we wouldn't have been able to record that conversation and make it public. So patrons, let me talk directly to you. Thank you. Thank you for pledging your $3, $10, $25, whatever amount it is every month. That has allowed me to publish 89 episodes of Artistic Finance, 102 if you count all the bonus episodes. That longevity is why we were able to have today's episode. And now let me talk to those of you who don't have access to a 401k. What can we do to save for our retirement? First thing, we'll never get a company match. So let's acknowledge that, be sad for a moment, and now immediately know we'll have to contribute for ourselves, which is great, we got this, so let's look at our options. Traditional and Roth IRAs. These individual retirement arrangements are super easy to open up. We can choose to go tax-deferred with a traditional account, or pay taxes now but not during retirement with a Roth. The limits for 2022 are $7,000. If you have a traditional and a Roth, you can only contribute $7,000 between the two. Simple IRAs, Savings Incentive Match Plan for Employees Individual Retirement Account. This functions the same way as an IRA, but it allows higher contribution limits. In 2022, the limit is $14,000. The thing that makes this different from an IRA is that you as a self-employed worker can make contributions and you as the employer of yourself can make contributions. SEP IRAs, Simplified Employee Pension Plan. These are easy to set up and allow you to contribute up to 25% of your 1099 income, or $61,000, whichever is less. The odd thing with a SEP is that you as the employer are contributing to you. You, the employee of your own work, can't contribute. Those are technicalities that don't really matter, but with simple and SEP IRAs, be sure to talk with a financial professional before deciding what is right for you. And the only reason to open one instead of a traditional or Roth IRA is for the higher contribution limits. One thing about the simple and the SEP IRAs is that they cannot be Roth. There is a way to roll them over into a Roth and pay the tax then, but you'll have to work with a financial professional to figure that out. So these are the main options for self-employed individuals wanting to save for retirement. There's always the option of a regular brokerage account or alternative investments. They won't provide the tax incentives of retirement accounts, but they are certainly the easiest way to build a nest egg with the least amount of paperwork. So my recommendation for freelancers is to start with a Roth IRA. If you max that out, open a SEP IRA. And if you max that out, then just open a taxable brokerage account and invest there. The simple plan I've never opened, so I don't know how easy it is to do. Though next week, we have lighting designer Lap Chi Chu on the show. He opened a simple plan early in his career and has always used that as part of his retirement plan. That does it for 401ks. What do you think of this episode? Was it useful? 
Did you learn anything new? If you're a financial professional, do you agree with everything we discussed? Let me know by commenting on the LinkedIn post that I'll create for this episode. A reminder that there is a workbook that goes along with today's episode. It has Elena's 401k options with the five-year return chart, the volatility, and the expense ratio. It also shows the S&P 500 chart that we screen shared. The link will be at the top of the show notes. Patrons have access at patreon.com artisticfinance. If you aren't a patron but you'd like the workbook, email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com and I'm happy to send it to you for free. If you are in New York City this weekend or next, come see the musical A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine. It's at Theater Row and I'm designing lights for the J2 Spotlight Company. It's produced by Jim Jamiro, the former CEO of the Disney Channel and our guest on episode 58. The show is directed by Rob Schneider, producer at 54 Below, and our guest on episode 63. The last thing before we go, a shout out to the UK listeners of Artistic Finance. The United Kingdom makes up the third largest listener group after the USA and Canada. I wildly appreciate your support from across the pond. It's been a while since we've had a UK guest on the show, so let me know if there is anyone I should get in touch with. So cheers to all of you from the UK. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.